How is everybody today? Um, last week, Kendall laid down the gauntlet and said that you had to wear a silly hat. So Ron brought his silly hat. Is, is the Ravens in the middle there? And you got the... Yeah. Sorry about that. Uh, And, and I, I assure you, they have a pill for what ails you. Um, in light of the events in today's world, I had an entirely different introduction thought out for today's message. But the Lord laid something different on my heart this morning. And we all know what happened in California. We all know that tragedy and that pain. And everyone is looking for a reason why. And the reason is kind of simple. It's sin. And the need for a redeemer, as Kendall pointed out last week, to redeem and call back to God this planet is clearer than ever before. But my message is about how that redemption comes about. Because what we see is two reactions. One reaction is terror, and the other reaction is hatred. And neither one of them are good. And both of them are rooted in one word, and that word is fear. And perfect love casts out all fear. And I really want to talk today about that application, exercise, practical doing of that word love. We talk about it all the time. We say that the differentiator between Christianity and other faiths is how we show love to one another. But I really want to talk about the nuts and bolts of expressing that love. Not in the theoretical ideas, but in practical, real ideas. Our passage today is in Galatians 5, verses 13 through 15. So if you're tablet people, navigate there, please. If you're uh, Bible people, turn there, if you will. For we were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity to indulge your flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole love can be summed up in the, uh, the whole law, I'm sorry, can be summed up in a single commandment, namely, you must love your neighbor as yourself. However, if you continually bite and devour one another, beware that you are not consumed by one another. Now, some of you might know that this is not the first time that I've been able to stand from this pulpit and preach this passage. We preached this passage a, a, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away when things at New Hope were a little different. Um, and 
you might know it as the infamous zombie sermon. Anybody remember the zombie sermon? I focused on the latter part of this passage. However, if you can continually bite and devour one another, beware that you are not consumed by one another. The Holy Spirit led me to to discourage backbiting and self-destructive behavior. And I used the clip from the campy movie, The Night of the Living Dead, to just demonstrate what that might look like. Well, little did I know, but there was an ongoing ugliness going on at the church at that time. And um, I was not really prepared for the backlash that I got as a result of preaching that sermon. And I am actually very glad that I was totally and completely unaware of what was going on. Because had I been aware of what was going on, I would have rationalized to myself not to preach that message. Because it was too controversial. But ignorance being bliss, I proceeded. And now I know it was made very clear to me at that time I was being a very bad boy. So this time, I'm going to preach from the front half (laughs) of this passage. I'm no fool. Where does this idea that uh, Paul puts in Galatians, um, this loving your neighbor as yourself, um, we first uh, uh, discover it in John, but it's actually an Old Testament thing. But I'd like to share with you just the the verse from John 13, uh, 34 through 35, because my theme is going to be sort of taking Jesus' examples of how he demonstrated love and making applications for us right here at New Hope. I give you a new commandment to love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Everyone will know by what you are. Now, everybody will know by this that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What does it mean to love one another? What would it take? So I'm going to take five examples from the gospel. Four if I run out of time. Um, uh, And we're going to make practical applications to us at New Hope. And the first place I want you to go is navigate to Luke 8, verses 1 through 3. Soon afterwards... He began going around from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary, who was called uh, Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Kudza, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who were contributing Uh, to their support out of their private means. You know, as we're getting ready to move from here to there, moving is always a lot of work. There's a lot of work in this church because we're so small. We really depend on everybody to contribute in some way, shape, or form to getting things done around here. But when we go to Catonsville, that duty's going to double because we're going to be working two services, and we're going to be in a new location, and new things are going to be going on. And 
we want to notice the work of others and then tell them about it. Now, one of the problems that I find when people try to appreciate someone else's things that they've done for us is that sometimes they don't really give it enough of a intention. They, they're not intentional about it. They're not deliberate about it. They don't make sure that the message was heard. And I often think of when people thank me for things and I don't think they're really sincere, I kind of think of Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. Thanks for noticing. <laughs> what I'd like to do is I'd like to have somebody volunteer to, be, to help me with this. And I'd like to actually demonstrate what I think it should look like when you say thank you. When you appreciate it. So, do I have a volunteer? Somebody want to be my? Come right up. That's perfect, right there. One of the things that you really have to do when you thank somebody is make sure you got their attention. So you're going to. Oh, am I thanking ask, you? No, I'm thanking you. <laughs> oh, okay. I want you to get their attention and I want you to let them know that you're talking to them. And they're not, not just talking in general. Are you talking to me? I'm talking to you. <laughs> and I want you to really actually look in their eyes. And while you're holding their hand or getting their attention in some way or putting your hand on their shoulder, I want you to look in their eyes and I want you to say first off and foremost, Amy, I love you. I love you, Ron. And I have noticed all the work that you do around here. The music playing and the beautiful things that you've done for the church. And I want to thank you sincerely. And I really mean that. Thank you. Can we do that? Can we handle that? If I just said to Amy, hey, nice music, think she'd really think I was sincere about that? But take the time to thank people for what they're doing for us. Everybody, from the people who pick up the donuts to the people who sweep the floors to that thankless job of cleaning the toilets in the men's room. Now, the next example I have is from Matthew 19, verses 16 through 22. Some of you may know this as the rich young ruler. And someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? And he said to, me, to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good, but if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. Then he said to him, which one? And Jesus said, you shall not commit murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, and you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these things I've kept. What am I still lacking? And Jesus said to him, If you wish to be complete, go and sell all your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven, and then come and follow me. But then the young man's heart heard this statement. He went away grieved, for he was one who owned much property. Now, the interesting thing about this is that um, we need to make sure that we tell people 
what they need to know, not what they want to hear. Notice the distinction. What they need to know and not what they want to hear. <coughs> this rich young ruler, well, before we get involved in telling people what they need to know and not what they want, what the, what, want to hear, I want you to make sure that you understand that this young guy asked. I don't want us going around and volunteering and telling, you know, Ron, I really think you need to know you're fat and you ought to lose some weight. I didn't ask, so that's not the kind of response that we're looking for right here. But when someone asks and you believe that they're sincere, answer them with what they need to know, not what they want to hear. The young man in this passage wanted to hear that he had lacked nothing, that he had had it all figured out. I'm rich, I'm handsome, all the girls are chasing after me, I've got this nice chariot, I'm, I'm, I've got it all, now all I need to do is hear from the master, I'm making it to heaven too. That's not what he heard, was it? And this is why he asked, does he want it to be reinforced? And so many times we want to be reinforced in what we already believe. Not everyone wants to know the truth, though. Uh, so wait until they ask. Otherwise, keep your mouth shut. I would love one day for Jason to ask me to preach on uh, being quiet, when to shut up because I could give you a two-and-a-half-hour sermon on when and why you should shut up sometimes. One of the worst things that Christians do is feel compelled to say something when they should just shut up. So make sure that this person really is ready to hear, because he asked. And if you ask, I hope you understand that in asking, you may hear what you don't want to hear. Now, if someone asks me, I'm going to tell you what you need to know. But if it's something I don't think you're ready for, I am going to do it as gently as I possibly can because I do not believe in brutal, being brutally honest. But if you ask, make sure you're prepared to listen. And I want to let you know that I'm asking. I truly am want to hear what you have to say. I'm asking some key questions. What would you like to see changed or done differently? What do I or we lack here at New Hope? And what do you like best about being involved at New Hope? I want to know those answers. So when you see me later, remember I asked. The next example I want to talk about is really um, interesting. Mark chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. This is the calling of Matthew. Now, a sidebar. I find the fact that Matthew, the tax collector, and Simon, the zealot, were two guys in the same team. And it's like polar opposites. One is an ultra, ultra, ultra conservative terrorist, and the other one works for the other side. 
by collecting taxes. Yet they became brothers in Christ and worked together for the gospel. Incredible thing by itself. But this passage isn't talking about that in particular. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son, and I can't pronounce this guy's name, so I'm just going to skip it, the son of somebody, sitting in the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. And it happened that he was reclining at the table of his house, and many tax collectors and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many of them, and they were following him. When the scribes of the and the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, Why is he eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus, he heard this, and he said to them, It is not those who are healed who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but I came to call sinners. I want you to practice hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. Now, I don't have a whole lot of problem hanging out with sinners, but I think I might have problem hanging out with tax collectors. Uh, running a small business, they're always after me. But I want you to hang out with sinners and tax collectors. I hang out with sinners all the time. I hang out with Jason, and I hang out with Joe Miller. And I hang out with Marty and BJ. I've even hang out with Kevin once in a while. And I hang out with Darcy. Every time we have an elders meeting, it's a room full of sinners. You know why? That's easy to do because we're all sinners. And we've all fallen short of the glory of God. But I want you to get used to hanging out with sinners that most Christians would consider unacceptable. You know, as we move over to Catonsville, the dynamic of the church is going to be different. We're in a little building at the end of a dead-end street that nobody ever walks down except for one time when God wanted to demonstrate kindness to somebody. You remember that, Jeff? <laughs> one Sunday, Joe and I are sitting out here. We're having a, a lesson on interpreting uh, uh, the proper way to interpret the, uh, the Bible. And we're talking about how you should serve others. And in walks this guy saying he needs money and a ride at this church. Catonsville's location is very different. It's in the middle of the main part of town, up and down a major thoroughfare. People are going to see that church, and they're going to see this is a place where I might be able to get help. And we got to be prepared to hang out with these folks that we're not quite comfortable with. It's a different mindset. We're really good here at New Hope at InReach and getting better at being Christians. We're now going to have to think about what is it like to express that love outwardly to people that are strangers, that are sinners, that are the kind of uh, people that you might not necessarily want your kids hanging out with. And we need to be ready to look for that and look for opportunities to do that and become comfortable with that. Jesus was. Jesus enjoyed the company of sinners. Here's something that I think you're going to find interesting, and it looks like I do have enough time to get to all five. 
Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. This is Jesus stilling the sea. On that day, when evening came, he said to them, let us go over the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat, so much that the boat was already filling up with water. Jesus said, uh, Jesus himself was in the stern asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified. Whenever we have fear, we tend to run towards flight or fight. And that fight mechanism leads to the hatred and the uh, flight mechanism leads to terror, being terrorized. Sorry about that. And they became very afraid and said, said to one another, Who then is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? You know what I want you guys to do? I want you to do extraordinary things. Don't stay in your comfort zone. Do extraordinary things. Be bold enough to rebuke the wind and have faith. I want you to do extraordinary things like enter into a partnership with a mainline denomination. Bold stuff. Not done. We're going to get a lot of grief about that, by the way. But do extraordinary things. Be willing to be extraordinary. Step out in faith. God's got you covered. God's got your back. John chapter 4, verses 4 through uh, 26. The conversion of the Samaritan woman. I'm going to dwell a little bit here. Because this has a lot to say to to New Hope. It really does. Verse 4. But he had to pass through Samaria... Now he came to uh, a Samaritan town called uh, Sychar, near the plot of land that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, uh, since he was tired from the journey, sat right down beside the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me some water to drink. For his disciples had gone off into the town to buy supplies. So the Samaritan woman said to him, How can you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for water to drink? For the Jews use nothing in common with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you had known the gift of God and who it was who was asking you, Give me some water to drink, you would have said to him, He would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said to him, You have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? Surely you're not greater than our ancestor Jacob, 
are you? For he gave us this well and drank from it himself, along with his sons and his livestock. And Jesus replied, everyone who drinks some of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks some of the water that I will give him never will thirst again. But the water that I will give him will become in him a fountain of water, springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so I will not be thirsty or have to come here any more to draw water. And he said to her, Go, call your husband and come back here. And the woman replied, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, Right you are when you say, I have no husband, for you have five husbands, and the man you are living with now is not your husband. This you say truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and your people say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when we will worship the Father neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You people worship what you do not know. We worship what we know because salvation is from the Jews. But a time is coming, and now is here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such people to be worshipers. God is spirit, and the people who worship him worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, the one called Christ. Whoever is, whoever he, whenever he comes, he will tell us everything. Jesus said to her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. The real miracle of this event is that Jesus is talking to her at all. We have, um, we have oftentimes avoided conversations with people that we don't like and have differences with and have disagreements with and don't seem to be able to reconcile with. This was a case of a Samaritan woman was considered completely unclean. They weren't even allowed to share anything with Samaritan people at all. So the fact that Jesus was willing to drink from the cup that she was going to uh, ladle the water out of was incredible. The fact that he was even talking to her was incredible. And we've already done something incredible by starting a dialogue with the Episcopal Church. The woman was amazed that Jesus, a good Jew, Jewish boy, would drink from the same cup as she would. The world will be amazed that we would share a cup with the Episcopalians. However, the evangelicals will be just as amazed that we would share a cup with the Episcopalians. The Episcopalians will be just as amazed that we would share a cup with the Episcopalians. This is an amazing thing that we go forward to do. Some will be hostile. I have gotten some feedback to, for, from some people that tell me, you know, you're really not saved if you enter into this, continue to be a member of this church that's entering into this partnership. 
We've got to be ready for that hostility. Another interesting thing about this conversation is the woman asked him about the right way to worship God. And you know, as we have dialogue with the Episcopalians and they do it different than we do it and we do it different than they do it, somewhere along the line, somewhere around in one of those conversations, somebody's going to tell you you're worshiping on the wrong mountain. You're doing it wrong. You don't use the Book of Common Prayer the way we use the Book of Common Prayer. You don't have the Eucharist. You have just communion. If this is going to be really remarkable, we need to respect the different worshiping styles. We are not on the wrong mountain, and we do not need to change in order to enter into this. We need to be true to who God has called us to be. It would be easy to just be more alike. It wouldn't, not, but not, it wouldn't be that remarkable. If we were more alike, the differences uh, would be insignificant. It would be just like having an early service and a late service. They'd just be same. I want us to be different. I want us to be true to who we are as evangelicals. But loving the way that Episcopalians be Episcopal. And them loving the way we be evangelical. If that happens, then this will be a true success. We must both embrace the uniqueness and respect the differences. So even though we are busier and busier, please take a minute or two to think about what it means that Jesus has come and is coming again. I hope that some of these applications of Jesus' examples are helpful to you and help you visualize what may be coming down the road as we prepare for how we may get there. And it's going to be loosey-goosey because we don't know what that looks like. We don't have best practices for how to merge an evangelical and an Episcopal church in a partnership. It's not there. We're inventing the wheel here. But if we invent the wheel so it's round and it rolls, it'll be useful to others. And it will amaze the world when they look into that partnership and they see that love that we have for one another. And they're going to say, you know what? I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of what that looks like. And I want to be a part of changing the world through living out the love that Jesus demonstrated in the few short years that he had a public ministry here on earth. Let me pray. Gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, I thank you for this afternoon and this morning. I thank you for all the people that are here today to worship you. I ask, Lord, that in some small way that they have been served by what has happened here today, 
and in some small way they have served someone else by what has happened here today. I ask this in the loving, precious name of Jesus Christ. 